Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Race fans, it's time to buckle in and listen to the fastest hour in racing radio. Your driver is a multi-time NASCAR winner and Hall of Famer, Mark Martin. We cover racing, grassroots, history, we bench race, we talk life, and most importantly, we smash the loud pedal. It's time to turn some laps on the Mark Martin Podcast. Episode number 47 of the Mark Martin Podcast, and we're going to get into the years 2012 and 2013. It's a wrap on Mark Martin's NASCAR racing career. But before we end the chronological podcast order, make sure to get onto that website, markmartinpod.com, markmartinpod.com. Hit that connect button, get with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at markmartinpod, or hit that listen button and subscribe on your favorite podcast player, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. But Mark, chronological order, this has been a long run of podcasts in uh, spanning a long career in NASCAR, but we're going to wrap it up with 2012 and 2013. Yeah, um, so as we kind of let in in the last podcast, talking a little bit about Michael Waltrip texting me and asking me what I was doing, and uh, I texted him back. You know, trying to be funny, looking for something with a wood grain steering wheel. He said, won't you come drive for me? And I started giving it some real consideration. And I'm like, I'll only do 24 races. So that's no problem. We'll get, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get somebody to, to drive the other races. You know, Brian Vickers, it happened to be. And so... Uh, that, that was great. I, I like Brian a lot, and I knew I could work with him. And My first order was to come to grips with if this car going to be fast enough. And I started thinking about it, and it looked like it might be, maybe. They had a hell of an operation, and the car had been hauling butt some, especially qualifying. David Rudiman had been driving it. And not always so good in the race not as good in the race usually as qualifying but pretty awesome so uh pretty awesome qualifying for sure so anyway i i would have been more comfortable with i didn't know rodney childers and didn't hadn't had my eye on him and i was a little uncomfortable you know i'd be more comfortable working with somebody i'd known and you know, had that discussion with Michael and and uh, Ty Norris, and they're like, "Do you know Rodney?" And I'm like, "No." And they said, "Well, you need to get to know him." So as soon as I started talking to Rodney, it's like, "Oh hell yeah, yeah, yeah." Rodney, Rodney's he's an ex-driver himself. He had a work ethic that was 
second to none. And since this, he has really made a name. He had already made a name for himself. I just hadn't been paying enough attention. Uh, there were times when I drove other cars that out-qualified me that shouldn't have, and it pissed me off, you know, with lesser equipment, uh, drivers that I didn't think were on the same level, a school equipment that was nowhere near the same level, and out-qualified me, and it would piss me off. And I found out later some of those cars were crew-chiefed by Rodney Childers, and I wasn't paying enough attention back then. But anyway, yeah, Rodney's the guy, and... Gosh, these guys on this team were so freaking excited. And it was the most comfortable environment I'd ever been in. Uh, you know, even more than Hendrick Motorsports because it was a casual. It wasn't formal feeling. When you went to the shop, everybody worked, but everybody was cool and light. And you know how Michael is. Wasn't anybody uptight. Ty Norris was incredible. This was an incredible organization with, I don't know, I think around 200 employees. God, they had a dozen engineers. Clint Boyer was going to be my teammate, along with Martin Truex Jr., both incredible guys. Brian Patty, um, you know, uh, Chad Johnston, crew chief and over there as well. And it was the dream team. It was a dream operation. It was so much fun to be around my crew guys, Aaron's. Aaron's was a great sponsor, great people. Uh, Toyota people embraced me. Chevrolet shunned me. I mean, I was a, always an outsider when I drove for Rick Hendrick because of my 23 years with Ford. But Toyota embraced me. And so it was a very comfortable time, most comfortable time in my career, coming right out of the gate. We went right to Daytona and run 10th. That was a nice start. And then the second race of the season, we go to Phoenix and sit on the pole. And I mean, it's so freaking much fun, so exciting. I don't think I knew I was going to sit on the pole until I did it. You know, I didn't know that we were that good. And we ran ninth in the race. And uh, we just keep cranking out top top five starts and top ten finishes. You know, and then we get to Richmond, the ninth race of the season, and we set on another pole and run eighth. So, I mean, it's just the car is just a freaking rocket ship. We go to Charlotte and qualify sixth. We go to Dover, my favorite place. And we won the pole, and that was really exciting because I remember that lap and my hands shaking, and I remember Michael coming over and, and him saying something funny and us laughing. I got a picture of us laughing real hard, and I think we beat Jimmy Johnson for the pole, if I remember correctly. But, you know, it was a big lap. Uh, it was just a big deal. And then we go to Pocono, and qualify sixth and run second, which is one of my six times. I think I ran second there at Pocono. So ran really good there. Then we go to Michigan and I, I got to tell you the second, the second Michigan race 
we we got everybody covered something pitiful. I mean, three-tenths a lap. We're fastest in the first practice, fastest qualifying on the pole, fastest in happy hour, and led every lap until um, I got tangled up in that two lap cars coming off a of turn four, got together and checked up. I had to check up and Casey Kane got in the back of me and I slid down to the infield and couldn't keep it off the inside pit wall and uh, had a very close call there. Probably that could have probably been really, really bad for me. I remember looking at that wall thinking, oh, this could hurt because I was hitting the end of the wall with the driver's door, but it just hit directly behind the, you know, the rear cage post. So it penetrated nearly halfway into the car and that absorbed the energy. If it hadn't been for hitting right there, if it hit in the door bars, the car would have stopped immediately and it would have been devastating on my body. I'm not sure how things would have turned out, uh, you know, but it was like a, you know, kind of a weird deal. I didn't even know how bad it was until I saw a replay when I got home. But we continued on, you know, hauling butt everywhere. That car was just a rocket ship. So much fun at the competition meetings, so much fun at the appearances. Second Dover race, we run third. Uh, we'll go to Charlotte, sit on the outside pole and run sixth. Uh, we go to Kansas and sit on the outside pole. I mean, it's just, this is just a blast. I mean, I'm having the time of my life working with these guys and, and it seems like we've really got magic. I mean, our race team was so excited and so pumped up and, just loved doing what we were doing and loved having me drive, drive their car. And I love driving their car. I love, you know, I just, we were having a good time. So we go into 2013 and I don't know. The best way to describe it is we we tend to lose a little bit of the magic. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the best way that I can put it. Um, we run good, but we just don't run as good as we did the year before. Uh, and as the season wears on, I'm starting to really doubt myself. And I mean, I'm getting, I'm having a good time, no doubt, but I'm starting to really doubt myself now. It seems like Brian is running really probably better than I am in the car. And I'm just not satisfied with my performance. It's just not what, what I, I, I was, I was laying it down in 2012, but 53 years old, 
Nobody could say I wasn't getting it done. And we came really close to winning races in, in 2012. But we weren't really close to winning races in 2013. And as we crept toward, you know, the mid-season uh, or just, just past mid-season, you know, I'd, I'd seen that the things were just, just weren't, uh, uh, they, it was time for me to give it up. I mean, it was just, it was time I'd made, you know, I made up my mind that I didn't want to drive race cars anymore. I didn't want to race Xfinity. I didn't want to race truck. I didn't want to race. I just didn't want to race anymore. I, I rode that horse as long as I could ride it. And, uh, Brian won up in, uh, loud New Hampshire. And I was so happy for the team and those guys. And I felt like that Brian needed that car full time. He didn't need to be sharing it. He had gotten the job done, been getting the job done, gotten the job done. And he deserved that car for 2014. And I needed to be out of the picture. So when Tony got hurt, Tony Stewart got hurt and they were going to have to find somebody to replace him. I thought, well, this is a perfect deal because Brian can have the car full time the rest of the year and I can run these last dozen races or so, uh, you know, for, for Tony, fill in for Tony and that will work out the best. And we were able to work all that out. Um, it, it all made sense. It was the right thing for Michael Walter Bracing. It was the right thing for Brian Vickers. It also was the right thing for me. Uh, I love Tony Stewart with all my heart. It was an honor for me to me to have him, uh, you know, let me drive his car while he was, uh, healing. And it was a cool experience to finish off the year. Now we ran like shit. I mean that we didn't run very good, but Tony wasn't running very good either when he got out of the car, uh, with exception of pulling off one win somewhere recently for the most part, the car hadn't been performing. And I, I was really surprised. I was not able to get the performance of the car up any, in fact, just wallered in misery those last 10 races but it was a fun experience to be a part of Stuart Haas and uh, you know work with Tony and Haas and all the people over there and it was a nice experience for me because they all treated me with so much respect it was amazing to be treated with the kind of respect that I had been treated in the last five years of my career. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. By people who I thought the world of and that that really means a lot it still does to this day uh, it's hard to believe it's you could convince me that was just a, a a dream that it really didn't happen and i look back on all the success that i had and you could convince me that didn't happen either because like i said all uh, all the way through these podcasts I wasn't worth a damn at anything else. And I'm still not today. I'm not worth a damn at anything else. At anything. And it it's amazing that I was able to have the kind of success I had. It's so amazing that I can't even believe it really happened. And I'm grateful for it. But I don't revel in it. You know, I look forward and move forward and go straight away, straight ahead. And I'm grateful for the experience I had and the people that I got to work with, some of the greatest people in NASCAR history. And I had to do some amazing things in my life, but I, I have another life now. And, you know, I just, instead of, Looking back, I, I continue to look forward, just like I always did through all those years. I keep my eyes going forward, looking ahead, and enjoying the next chapters in my life. So speaking of the next chapters in your life, after 2013, after you called it a wrap, 2017 NASCAR Hall of Fame, and uh, went through uh, all that ceremony and the, the prestige that comes with that. Let's let's have a little bit of a, a recap on the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Well, I was eligible for the 16 Hall of Fame. And, you know, I didn't expect to get in. Uh, and I didn't. And then in 17, I was like, well, I'm not going to sit around and worry about it. If I was voting, I wouldn't vote myself in. There are other more important people that need to go in before I would ever go in, for sure. And I didn't think I was worthy. So I'd never been to the Indy 500, and one of the things on my, on my bucket list was to, um, to go to the Indy 500, and it was the 100th running of the Indy 500. So I planned on taking the motor home. Arlene obviously didn't want to go. So I planned on taking the motor home up there and getting it parked on Wednesday and hanging out there all weekend. And Wednesday at 5 p.m. or whatever, 5 or 6 p.m. was when they announced who got in, you know, who were the, the, the inductees for 2017 and 
I was outside. I got there to Indy, got coach parked, um, got outside, was washing the front of the coach, getting all the bugs off the front of the coach, and my phone just freaking blows up. It was crazy. And I'm in. I couldn't believe it. But now I was kind of in a jam because, you know, I didn't have my plane. I didn't have a pilot anymore. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have my plane with me and I didn't have a pilot anymore. And I was just parked at Indy in my motorhome. So we started having to make some plans and I got to be, uh, I got to be around Indy, I think, I think it was on Friday, on Thursday, I got to be, hang out at Indy and I got, that was fun. But then Friday I had to fly to, uh, to Charlotte and do all kind of stuff. It's one day or the other. I had to fly to Charlotte and do all the stuff, you know, the press stuff and all that about being inducted. And then I flew back to Indy and got to be at Indy for the race. So, you know, I didn't get to hang out as much as I wanted, but I did get to go to a couple of events. And the things I remember about that Indy race was I went to an event on one of the evenings, Thursday evening or whatever it was. And AJ Foyt was there. All the greats were there. And AJ just kept wanting to talk to me, talk to me. He was just chewing my ear off. And AJ and I weren't close. There's a good age difference between the two of us. And I raced against him some, but I never really talked to him a whole lot. But he viewed me as an old timer like him. And we just had the grandest talks. And, you know, I knew so many people from the 80s when I was still ASA racing and and from IROC racing, Danny Sullivan and R.A. Lyondike and uh, the Unser's Jr. and Unster Sr. and all these guys that are legends in the sport, and they all were so friendly, so respectful, and so much fun to see and get a chance to talk to. It was just was an incredible experience and one of the most incredible weekends of my life um, you know, because of being, uh, able to be inducted into the hall of fame, being an inductee and also being there and seeing all these great legendary drivers and talking with them and having so much fun. And the only other weekend that I can think of in my racing career that, that topped that was the induction itself at the end of January in 17. That was definitely the crown jewel of my career, without without question. Um, I it just it's just unbelievable that a kid from Arkansas was standing at a dirt track in the fall of twenty of nineteen seventy three and said to his dad. Let's build me one of these things for next year. Went all the way to the NASCAR Hall of Fame. I couldn't believe it. 
And one other short story about that Hall of Fame thing. I wasn't big on practicing my speeches. I had delivered my speeches from the heart. Most of them weren't written down. But this was a real important speech for me because it was my last chance in my lifetime that I would have to thank all the people that made made that uh, happen for me. And I would encourage you to look up on YouTube and find my, uh, you know, the, the YouTube video of my speech, inductions, Hall of Fame induction speech, because it was very important to me. Those people are why I made it. And without the people that I name and many more, I never would have made it. And it's a big deal, really a big deal to me to thank those guys. But anyway, they wanted me to practice my speech. And I know now why they wanted because they wanted to time it because they, you only had seven minutes. I didn't know that. When I wrote, you know, wrote my speech, I had help writing the speech. Uh, Kevin Woods helped me, you know, wrote the speech. I told him the things I wanted. I made the bullet points. I gave them to him. And he made the words sound right uh, to it. He's a terrific writer and a terrific friend of mine. And so I had this speech with all these people thanked in it. And, and I had studied it and memorized it. Well, the day before the induction, you come practice. So I came. And before I even practiced, they wanted to see it. I said, this is too long. You only have seven minutes. I already timed it. It took me 15 minutes to do it. You only have seven minutes. I said, I can't do it. I mean, I can't do it. I can't. You can't induct me into the Hall of Fame then because I can't deliver. I can't do. I can't do a speech that short. And they're, yeah, yeah, you know, we'll help you write it. Well, you know, and they rewrote. They rewrote it. We collaborated on it. We rewrote it, and uh, um, and got it much better. And of course, I didn't read it. It was on the teleprompter, but I didn't read the speech because I knew everything. I couldn't read it, or you could tell I was reading it. So I went through it, and of course I added the things in there that I wanted to add, and it was well, maybe more like nine minutes, but there wasn't, they couldn't stop me once I got started. But at least it wasn't 15 minutes, but that was a very stressful event leading up to it until I got the speech delivered, and then after that it was like winning a race, huge relief. So after the uh, Hall of Fame ceremony and, uh, you know, post-2013, um, the the museum in Batesville at Mark Martin Ford, uh, people can go and enjoy that. You've uh, – and it, up until a couple of years ago, you had uh, Mark Martin Day uh, done that in various at various times of the year. Uh, but you've kind of transcended that, and you're, you're off to, like you said, a different part of your life now, uh, Montana – for the most part, uh, sometimes in California, kind of all over the place. Just living the dream, living my life, uh, working on my motor coach, keeping things clean, tricking out stuff, Mr. Fix-It, visiting with family, and uh, just loving life. Uh, I don't have time for a job. I really do enjoy doing what I'm doing and Love the time that I'm spending with Arlene and and uh, and friends. We've made some new friends and a lot of different things. So um, I 
I'm asked a lot, do you miss racing? And I don't, I just, I don't miss it. I, I was 40 years. I loved it. It was every ounce of my soul and my being, but now I've moved on to other things. And, you know, that was a long season in my life, but I, I'm not a racer anymore. And, uh, I'm just, uh, moving on to the next chapter. Speaking on that, you're not a racer anymore, but you have reconnected with uh, Roush Racing and Jack, and you've done some things uh, over the past couple of years. Talk about, you know, post, you know, your racing career with Roush, and then obviously you raced for other folks after that, other teams, but you reconnected after that. Well, Jack and I remain friends um, and are blood brothers and always will be. And they have asked me, you know, they, they've wanted me to get involved with their program. And I've tried uh, to be involved with the competition meetings. I've, I've been to their shop quite a bit, try to help them get better. But it's, my heart's not in it. I don't want to do that anymore. I, I just, I don't want to compete. I don't even want to play a game of Monopoly or a game of cards. I just don't want to compete anymore. I relate that with stress and, uh, I don't want, I, I, I just don't want that kind of stress anymore. So we remain close. Uh, and I have done some, uh, things with them, spent some time at their shop and all that stuff at one period of time, but they needed more than I was able to give. And so, I'm not doing that, you know, I'm not participating in, uh, their performance meetings or anything like that anymore. So, um, I'm just kind of out of racing. I'm a race fan. I love watching it. So once again, that's going to put a wrap on this chronological order of the podcast. Uh, nice companion piece, uh, to this is actually a book, uh, called Mark Martin driven to race. Uh, came out on August 1, 1997. It's by Bob Zeller. You can find that on Amazon and uh, order that up. You can read that. You can go back on these podcasts, listen to the certain years, and it kind of makes it a nice, uh, you know, nice companion uh, to what we've done here on the podcast. But Mark, uh, we've been we've been on a run with these chronological podcasts, but we're going to add to it even more. And uh, as we've said before, have some fun now and do some things uh, with interviews kind of like we've done in the past and get some of those uh, personalities that were part of your life and part of your career uh, that spanned over 40 years. Yeah, I look forward to it. And I hope that everyone's enjoyed, you know, this. And we'll revisit stories. There's lots of stuff that I haven't told because I can't remember as, as we go through. But it was kind of important to me for the fans that are interested to lay this stuff down and get that handled. And as we get, have visitors, uh, and, and guests on the shows and different things, when we do that, a lot of other things will come up and we'll just touch on different periods and different events that happened that uh, probably didn't get covered here in, in, uh, in our yearly year by year kind of, uh, pods that we've done. So once again, race fans, that will do it for episode number 47 of the Mark Martin podcast. It puts a wrap 
on Mark's racing career, but we're going to be back with different podcasts coming up here very, very shortly, fan questions, driver interviews, and a lot more fun. But again, that'll do it for episode number 47 of the Mark Martin Podcast. Thank you for subscribing and listening to the Mark Martin Podcast. Remember to give us a five-star rating in your app store. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MarkMartinPOD. The Mark Martin Podcast is a production of the Accelerated Podcast Network.